Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you with us on week four of our series. He's still got the whole world in his hands. And this is an important reminder. This statement is, especially in this season where we're faced with so much uncertainty. Because see, here's what happens. Uncertainty, it always prompts this broad range of reactions in our lives. And as we look around and we see not only broad range of reactions in our lives, but in other people's lives, we have to ask this question. And it's a question that we've been discussing for the past couple of weeks, and that is this. What is the best way to react to circumstances that create anxiety, fear, worry, or stress? Now, today, we're going to look at one of the best ways that I think shows how to respond in uncertainty, and it comes from one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's a story that I've turned to over and over again in many different seasons of my life to remind me that God still got the whole world in his hand. Now, it's a story about three young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who face, I think, probably the greatest threat possible to their future that any person could face. It's the kind of threat that would create anxiety and fear at a level as great or maybe even greater than what we're facing today. But despite their circumstances, they hold on to the belief that even when life is uncertain, God is not. He's still got the whole world in his hands. Now, as we told you several weeks ago when we started this series, this story begins almost 3,000 years ago in the ancient kingdom of Babylon, which was ruled by this powerful king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had conquered a number of nations, including Israel, and Israel was the home of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But unlike many other leaders of his day, whenever Nebuchadnezzar conquered a nation, what he would do is he would identify the fittest and the smartest young leaders of the nation, he would bring them into the capital city, and then he would be tra- he would train them to be Babylonians or to think like Babylonians. Now, this was Nebuchadnezzar's way of having the fittest and the smartest kingdom in the world. And so, these three Israelite men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken to the Babylonian kingdom to be trained. But for King Nebuchadnezzar's plan to succeed, he had to handle one big question, which was this. How do I keep all these captured people with all these different cultures and mindsets that he's brought into his kingdom unified and subservient to him? So he decides, he comes up with a plan. He decides to create some oneness, and he invests a lot of effort into motivating these leaders that he's training to go along with. And in fact, what he does is he creates this remarkable statue where we're told that it is 90 feet high, and it's made of gold. It's an object of immense value. And then he orders all of his leaders, all these leaders from all these captured people to make this pilgrimage to this statue. And then when this impressive gathering of all these captured leaders were assembled, whenever they heard the band play, what they were to do is they were to bow down to the statue. Now, just in case the formal decree and just in case the ceremony and just in case the peer pressure were not enough to compel people to bow down, Nebuchadnezzar decreed That failure to comply meant they would be thrown alive into a fiery furnace. 
Now, this is a serious problem for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because on one hand, bowing down to the statue would be disobeying two of God's main commands, don't have any other gods and don't worship idols. And these three young men, they have committed to following God's command. But on the other hand, not bowing down would be disobeying King Nebuchadnezzar, which would mean getting thrown alive into this fiery furnace. So in this moment, I want you to feel this tension here. These three young men, they find themselves faced with uncertainty that is forced on them by their circumstances. Circumstances that every one of us would want to avoid at all costs. They are faced with this question. What is the best way to react to circumstances that create anxiety, fear, worry, or stress? Because this is one of those circumstances in their life. So when the music starts, it's like this race by all these leaders to see who can hit the ground first because Nebuchadnezzar is watching. And, and you got to understand, this is a group of overachieving leaders because it's either slavery for them or leadership, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, while everybody else is on the ground, they refuse to even bow their heads. In fact, look at what happens in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? And most of us, when we read that, we understand, hey, this is a rhetorical question. It's kind of like when you're messing up and your mother said to you, hey, do I need to come over there? See, he's not like looking for an answer. He's making a point. He's saying, really, you are some of my top leaders and you have just embarrassed me. But here's the thing. You're such incredible young leaders that I'm willing to overlook it if you will just do what you're supposed to do. Look what happens in verse 15. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Now, basically what Nebuchadnezzar is saying is, I'm, I'm forced to do this, not, not because I want to, but because you're forcing my hand. But see, what Nebuchadnezzar was missing at this point is what all of us tend to miss when we are faced with uncertainty that is forced with us on us. So he asked a second rhetorical question to kind of make his point, And he says this, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Because see, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, there was no way God is able to deliver them. And you know, oftentimes the same is true for many of us. Whenever we're faced with uncertainty that makes it look like we're going to lose big time, so many times what happens is we stop believing that God is able to rescue us, that God is able to deliver us so much that even with Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
he gets surprised by them. Because these men, they don't treat his question as a rhetorical question at all. Like, who's going to be able to rescue us? He doesn't expect an answer. In fact, look at what they do in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Now, here's the thing. Let me pause here for just a moment. Because this statement that they're making here, it is such a statement of remarkable faith. Get what they're saying. Our God is able to save us from this furnace. He is able to rescue us from danger. He's able to deliver us even from your hand, O king. Our God is able. And I just want you to kind of pause for just a moment and think about this because I don't know if it's possible for us to spend too much time reflecting on stories that teach this truth that we're learning here in this season. And this is the truth. The God you and I serve our God is able. Our God is able. And in that one statement, what we find is the foundational principle that gave these three young men the courage to face uncertainty and an uncertain future with just incredible confidence. See, somewhere way before this day, they own the idea that our God is able. They believed even if they were taken into captivity and made slaves, even if they had to leave their homes, even if they had to leave their families, even if they had to leave their old lives behind and their religious traditions and they were separated from them, even if they were threatened by the most powerful man in the world, even if they were thrown into a fiery furnace, God is able to save them. And then notice just how much they believe this. Notice how much they trusted God. Verse 18, the God we serve is able. Don't miss this. The God we serve is able to save us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Don't, don't miss what they're saying here. Our God is able. He's absolutely able. But even if he does not, that's what this story is all about. It's a reminder that even in circumstances that have the potential to destroy our future, we have to understand our God is able, but even if he does not, they're saying, we have already decided our response. We have already made up our mind. Here's what they are saying. They're saying this, our devotion to God, it is based on who he is, not what he does. And here's why they could say this and mean it. See, their focal point, it was not on deliverance. 
Their focal point was on honoring God above all else because of who he is. You got to understand something about these young men. They weren't consumed with deliverance. They were consumed with honoring God. And I'm telling you folks, when you're in a season of uncertainty, when you are in a season of crisis, whether you're focused on deliverance or whether you're focused on honoring God, that makes all the difference in your emotional and spiritual well-being being. See, when our focal point is on deliverance, the only acceptable outcome to us is deliverance. You got to understand that. When our focal point is on deliverance, the only acceptable outcome to us is deliverance. And here's what happens. Joy for us can't come in the process until deliverance happens for us if our focus is on deliverance. And so often what happens with myself and probably with many of you is we, we find ourselves in a crisis or a season of uncertainty and, and we start wringing our hands and we start praying to God for deliverance. And, and when it's over, we rejoice. Th then we're joyful. It's, it's like now it's over and now I can be happy again and I can get back to my life again and I can have joy again. Well, what these three young men are teaching us is that the focus, when it's not on deliverance, but it's on full devotion of God, we can experience joy and we can still experience the, the certainty that God is with us and God is going to fulfill his plan in and through our lives. In fact, notice the last part of the story, starting in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Notice how much it changed. He ordered the, fury, the furnace heated seven times hotter, literally meaning unlimited amount of heat, whatever hot they could get it, seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Now, I want you to think about what's happening right here in this moment. And I want you to stop and try as best you can to imagine the experience of these three young men facing what looks like their final moment. I mean, think about it. They're carried to the furnace. They feel the heat before they get there. And then these strong soldiers that have tied them up, they throw them into the fire. And I'm sure there's this moment of panic and anxiety and worry and fear at a level that none of us have ever experienced. And they're waiting for the searing pain, for the numbness, for, for the smoke inhalation that's going to just suffocate their lungs. But it doesn't come. They, they don't feel any different. And then it begins to dawn on them that they're not even warm and they're not burned and, and there's no smoke that's choking them and they're not tied up anymore. And then they realize that they can walk around in this furnace. And, and that's not even the best part. See, the best part is what happens that turns this from this amazing, amazing miracle of being able to walk around in a fiery furnace to a divine encounter with God. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, he leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? 
They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So all of a sudden there's this fourth member in the furnace. He's unbound, unharmed as well. So who's the, who's the fourth man? Who's the fourth man that appears from no, nowhere that can cheat death and looks like in appearance a son of the gods? Now, the text doesn't say, but I, I think maybe it was Jesus. It's, it's called a theophany, and, and we see it multiple times in the Old Testament. I, I don't want you to miss this. These guys are walking around in the furnace together. And I mean, telling you folks, this is so important. What seemed like the end of their lives, what seemed like the end of their hopes and their dreams and their future, it turned out to be the greatest adventure of their life. It turned out to be the greatest thing that they ever experienced. It really became the can't-miss event of their life. And here's why this matters so much to us. What appears to us as a miss-at-all-cost event, to God is a can't-miss event. Please understand this. Dodging the fiery furnace would have meant missing out on the greatest God moment of their life. Not just the greatest miracle of their life, but the greatest God moment and encounter with God in their life. Folks, this principle, it is so important, and here's why. Because I think there is great danger, especially in this season of our lives, to it all becoming about fire avoidance, difficulty avoidance. The focus becomes all about deliverance, like God, deliver me from the pain, the discomfort, the suffering, the uncertainty of this season. God, make my life smooth again, make my life normal again, make my life comfortable, make it pleasant, remove all these obstacles that we're facing because I'm terrified of what might happen in the future. But I want you to imagine for just a moment, imagine God having a calendar and on whatever day was the day that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their encounter with Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever time that was, God had written down, meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And just imagine, what if they had decided not to show up? I mean, their life's greatest adventure, their life's greatest miracle, their life's greatest encounter with God depended on that decision. Listen, their whole understanding that they could be certain God was going to work in them and through them and would be with them, it was all based on their willingness to face the greatest obstacle of their life, the fiery furnace. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means this. As you and I, we've been going through this time of uncertainty with the coronavirus. It means we have a choice to make and we have a challenge for you. And by the way, I just want to go ahead and tell you, this is a very dangerous challenge, but I want you to consider this. Would you consider praying a very dangerous prayer? And this is the prayer. God, give me an opportunity to meet with you, even if it's in the fire. 
Don't miss this prayer. God, give me an opportunity in this season. God, I want to meet with you. God, so give me an opportunity to meet with you, even if it's in the fire. Like, God, I, I don't like this, but God, use this season to refine me in your fire. God, I'm not asking for comfort or riches or ease or certainty. I'm just asking to meet with you, even if it's in the fire. Now, I, I know this is not naturally how we pray because for most of us, our, our lives have come, become all about finding a way to avoid the fire. And somewhere along the line, too many people and too many churches have gotten the idea that following Jesus has something to do with an easier life. But what Jesus basically said to people when he called them to follow him was, he says, follow me and you're going to have a great big God. You're going to experience outrageous joy and you're, you're going to experience a greater adventure than you could ever imagine. But it won't necessarily be comfortable or easy. And for the past 2,000 years, people have followed Jesus by the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands, and they followed the same path that he walked. They, they followed by serving others, by being radically generous. They followed him through suffering and persecution, and some even followed him to death. And when they did, here's what's so important. God did not forget them. God did not overlook them. God did not abandon them. God said to them what he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will meet with you in the furnace. Now, here's another reason why this is so important that we understand this. See, because these three young men, they choose or chose to face this fiery furnace, not only did they experience the greatest adventure of their life, the greatest miracle combined with the greatest God encounter they would have in their life, but they changed the future of an entire kingdom. Look at these final verses with me. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Notice what else he says. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Think about it. A whole kingdom was changed because these three young men did not avoid the furnace. Here's something else I want you to think about as we're thinking about this story today. Almost 550 years later, there was a man. We talked about him last week. His name was Jesus. He was God in human flesh who chose to face the greatest furnace of all, the cross. And you know what? He could have avoided it. And he was tempted to early on in his ministry, but he didn't. And because of that, the world has never been the same. The world is still being impacted today because of Jesus going to the cross. Now, here's the thing. 
where this becomes really practical for all of us is this. We're all facing circumstances that could tempt us to do everything we could to avoid facing the firm furnace of this moment. And in the process of doing that, we can miss a divine encounter with God. But here's our challenge for you today. If we lean in and we say, God, meet me in this furnace, imagine how it can change you. Imagine how it could change the world around you if you had this divine encounter with God because God promises to show up and to meet you in the furnace. That's God's promise to you and that's God's promise to me. So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna pray for us and then the band is gonna come and they're gonna close out with a song that says, there's another in the fire standing next to me. And as they sing, our challenge is for you to commit to praying that dangerous prayer in this seeing, saying, God, I I'm just not asking for deliverance, but God, in this season, I'm asking you to meet me in the fire. Because I'm telling you, when you experience what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, not just the miracle of surviving the fire furnace, but the in divine encounter with God, I promise you, it will establish this confidence and this certainty that no matter what you face in the future, you will be able to say with confidence that God still got the whole world in his hands. And that's what we want for you. But more than that, that's what God wants for you. He wants to show up and meet with you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this incredible opportunity, this incredible opportunity to encounter you. And I just pray right now that you will help each one of us to have the courage to step into faith at a whole new level and pray this very, very dangerous prayer. God, I want to meet with you. I want to have an encounter with you even if it's in the fire. So God, I just pray that throughout this week, we won't shrink back, but God, that we'll lean in and we'll allow you to take us on the path that not only is gonna be a path where we see incredible miracles, but we also experience a divine encounter with you. Thank you that you still have the whole world in your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a grace when the heart is on fire. closing in and when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I don't know I will never be
Thank you that we can stand on that truth. That when the whole world around us is falling apart, even when we're standing in the fires of our lives, you are right there next to us. Well, we stand on that this morning. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, we hope to see you here Wednesday night for our live stream at 6 o'clock. We'll see you then.